0: Good afternoon. Well, if you would, we're going to begin our time in God's Word. We're going to continue in Colossians chapter 2. So I want to encourage you to find your place there and hold your position. And I want to just begin with an introduction, just a few reminders. As you know, in Colossians, this is a letter from Paul, to the churches in the city of Colossae in Asia Minor. Uh, And these churches, the letter that is presented to them, made a specific reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember that the letter emphasizes that that there is no one like the Lord. Um, Also, uh, it's reminding us of Jesus Christ and that he is the all Supreme and sufficient Savior who came to bring reconciliation to those who would believe. Paul had learned how to live for Christ through faith, and he's encouraging this church that they must do the same. We saw earlier in this uh, book uh, in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15. Through 23. And so when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, many of us know already that it doesn't stop there, it's just the beginning. And so therefore, we must learn. We are the disciples of Christ. Uh, The Lord God also sanctifies us, helps us to become more and more like Christ. And so Paul had learned this in his own life and uh, Paul is talking to uh, people whom he have never seen before uh, but is encouraged by their, their faith. And so there's a lot that we also can learn as we look into the scriptures. We're, we're also able to learn to be obedient and to live our lives for the glory of Christ but we must remember that this is not done without a cost right uh, this is not done without a cost if we're going to serve Christ then we must be aware of the dangers that comes with knowing him and so what we see here since the beginning of creation There has always been a war, a war between worldviews. God established the model for all humanity, but humanity was deceived, tricked, and taken captive because we did not heed the warning that God gave us in the beginning. Adam being our federal head representing us, uh, we also fell with Adam. So you remember that familiar passage in Scripture in Genesis 2. And there it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so here we have one worldview, the biblical mandate that is given by God. Then in Genesis 3, we see the devil begins by first questioning whether or not God said that the woman will die. In other words, casting doubt. Then in that moment, the woman is captivated to the point where she rejects the truth for a lie. And in Genesis 3 verse 1, it states, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And then in verse 4 and 5 is where she takes the bait. Listen to what it says. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we know what happens there, and we see the fall of all humanity, but we're reminded also that salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We were once captivated by sin and disobedient, but now we are in Christ, reconciled to God in Him. So so we have hope before us. In verses 21 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul reminds the people of their reconciliation to God and their obligation to continue in the race of faith. And so he states there, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. How? Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became minister. Paul, through his own testimony, continued emphasizing the supremacy of Christ above all, reminding these believers, reminding these Christians that hardship, will come with knowing Christ. And so here they are in a Roman world. In a Roman world where to the people Caesar is Lord. So imagine that the people are in a place where Caesar is Lord. But now these Christians have turned their backs on Caesar. They have turned away from Caesar. They have chosen to follow Christ. And so in turning away, now they must learn to walk in him. Paul was teaching them how to live amongst the dangers and destructive philosophies of their day. So now follow along with me. As I read the text, beginning at verse 8 in chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised them from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, oh, how we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would give clarity and understanding. We pray that your word would go forth powerfully, speaking into the hearts and minds of your people. We pray that your word would penetrate us in such a way that we would leave a changed people not hearers only, but doers of your word. We pray for the unbelieving one that today might be the day of salvation. We ask all of these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. um, I have entitled the sermon, Watch Out. See to it that no one takes you captive. I think that's the gist of what Paul is trying to say. Is as if a pastor says to his congregation, be careful out there. It's like a father sending their son and daughter to college. There's a sense of, "Be, be careful. Watch yourself. And so here it is. Paul, unable to see them. He cares for them. He he loves them. And he wants them to be careful. He warns them. And so if you're following along with me, I have four points. Very simple. From points one through four, uh, point number one will be, uh, be aware of Gnosticism. Point number two, be aware of legalism. Point number three, be aware of mysticism. And point number four, be aware of asceticism. So think of these as schools of thought. In each of these, I will give some of the false claims and then I will follow up with the truth of claims from the scriptures. So as we said earlier, the Colossians took, Great risk in following Christ. But why, why do you believe that is so? Why, why do you believe they would do such a thing? Why would these Christians take such a risk that could cost them their lives? What, what do you believe is the motivation? Think about it. What could be the motivation behind all of this? It's probably because they truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew for themselves that he was Savior, that he was Lord. They trusted him. When he came and he said to them, I've not come to be served, but I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. He came as Savior, and they believed him. And so they trusted him as Lord. However, the danger was the temptation of falling back into paganism. And guess what? We're faced with the same thing Uh, uh, becoming driftwood, if you would. Instead of staying close to the shores of Christ. If we're not careful, there's a reason why Paul is warning this church of the danger of falling back into paganism. Paul was concerned about them drifting back into having an alienation and hostility of mind towards God. Paul says, watch yourself. Don't be captivated. This concerned Paul, so he wrote them to teach them about how they might live as Christians about or amongst the dangers of false teachers. And so why is this important to us? It's important to us because misapplying who God is, who we are in Christ, could easily cause us Christians To lose our confidence, our assurance in the Lord. Easily lose our hope. We can find ourselves like the world as a people without hope. That's why we must be aware. We must, as we've sung, we must know whom it is. We have believed. Paul warns these Christians of the four dangerous and destructive philosophies of their day. But let's first define philosophy. Philosophy is defined as, there's two words in the Greek. We have the word phileo, which simply means to love. And then we have the word sophia, which simply means wisdom could even say uh, it, 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 it's, it means to love wisdom. You could say a lover of wisdom. But Paul is not saying that all philosophy is a bad thing. Paul was warning against wrong and destructive philosophy. In an informal sense, we're all philosophers, so philosophers and theologians. Drawing from our convictions, that is, formed out of our worldview. There are are only two worldviews. It's a biblical worldview that's centered around Christ and a non-biblical, pagan worldview that rejects Christ. So what we have here is a battle of worldviews. When we're in conversation with people There's a battle of worldviews that are going on. We're we're trying to help others to see their need for Christ. We're sharing with them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. A worldview relying upon pagan philosophies drawn from atoms and cosmic laws and energy. And mankind is at best a worldview that is secular humanism, communist materialism, and capitalist materialism. In other words, any form of pagan philosophy that opposes Christ. So in contrast, a biblical worldview is from God, through Christ, according to Holy Scripture. And so we must, as believers, hold our position. The world may see Christian wisdom as foolishness, but we know that wisdom from God is far wiser than the pagan philosophies of the world. That's true foolishness. But the world sees us in that same light. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-20, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us we are being saved. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thought. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of the world? So it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that all humanity can be reconciled to God. Christ came to save and he stated that this was his mission and obedience to the Father. Consequently, people want to believe that by some other means, salvation can be obtained some other way. But Jesus himself says, I am the way. There is no way to the Father except through me. It's the declaration that he made. He decreed it. And so we have others that are trying to have salvation through some other way when in many of those ways, they never claim. To bring about salvation. It is only the aftermath. That salvation was brought. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. That now man is conjuring up. For himself. A salvation of his own. That does not come through Christ. And so Paul is reminding them. Don't drift. Don't don't fall into the trickery. And so. We said point number one, be aware of Gnosticism. In other words, we're saying, don't let anyone diminish the deity of Christ. Don't let anyone try to bring Christ down. When when we are engaging with people, we can find out where they are by talking to them about who Christ is and what he have done. That would take us to a short runway to know where they are. And we're going to find out real fast if they are with us or against us by their belief in Christ. But they have trickery, though. The Gnostics was known for diminishing the deity of Christ. Christians must be careful in engaging with these kinds of people. Paul knew it, too, and he reminded his young protege, Timothy. Paul was careful. He recognized that these people were dangerous. And so we see in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, Paul warned Timothy of the need to protect the doctrine. Timothy must be aware of the foolish talk and worldly knowledge that is false. And in verse 20, Paul states, O Timothy. And does that feel like Paul is caring for? I mean, when you begin, oh Timothy. Does that feel like uh, he cares for this young man? And so here, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble, irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And then we have the Lord himself in John 17, verse 3. He himself says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. Whom you have sinned. So what we're about to see is how Christians can develop a positive argument against false teachings by remembering the completed spiritual victory we have in Christ. Notice I said, by remembering the completed spiritual victory we have in Christ. If we understand that, then our fighting is different, right? Our fighting has more to do with dependence upon God than actually taking action with our hands. It's it's a matter of trust and believing in. That's how we fight. It's about our faith. And so, how we heed the warnings given from the Scriptures against the heresy will prove how we deal with and how we expose the erroneous beliefs and practices of those who teach them. Listen again to these warnings given by Paul to the churches in that region. This will give us a feel as to what Paul is trying to communicate. So as we follow along in the text, We'll try to recognize two elements from the text which Paul, uh, which, in which Paul uh, tries to communicate. And he will basically demonstrate that which is false up against that which is true. And so we see, these, we see the lies of the false teachers. And we see, on the other hand, the truth that is revealed by Paul. So in verse 8, Paul says in this verse, In verse 8, Paul sees the threat, right? He sees a threat, then he gives instructions to these Christians on how to deal with the threat by way of a warning. He described these new teachers as sounding clever, crafty, and filled with emptiness. Their words are useless, and none of their words are given by divine inspiration. In other words, Paul says watch out. Watch out. They're trying to get people to go back into their old way of living, not trusting in Christ, not putting in faith, not putting faith in God, depending upon self and one's own ability. But the reality is they need to know that they are people that are required to believe in God and to know that there isn't a fullness of God apart from Christ. So the the reality is Christ is the only sufficient means in which we can enter into the fullness of God. We must enter in through Christ. So in verses 8 through 10, We see that some believe that this was an earlier form of Gnosticism. Paul warned against this type of teaching. And the Gnostics, the lie was, the Gnostics believe that salvation comes only through revealed knowledge. They believe that God and humanity are distant and infinitely apart and separated. They believe that God is Abstract. You can't, can't really know him. He's holy. He's, he's disconnected from creation. But we read in Genesis that God is, is, is very connected to his creation. They believe that matter is evil. So that would means that God, all of God's creation, would be evil and earthly. And so, in order for mankind to reach God, they believe that one must reach God. Or enter into his fullness by mastering the knowledge that contains the secrets, passwords, and codes of every realm that keeps the individuals from that distant from God. And so, uh, according to some, Gnosticism was thought of as religious thought distinguished by claims of mystical knowledge with an emphasis. Uh, On the knowledge instead of faith. And this is also considered experimental salvation. In other words, you, you have an experience, you have a knowledge of God. And that's how you come to know God. Not faith in the finished works of Christ and believing in the message of the gospel. That They're saying that's not it. These are the kinds of things that Paul was concerned about. That's why he warned them not to allow anyone to take them captive. All right? They're going to take them captive to make them worse than what they had been before, in coming before, coming to know Christ. But they must remember that they were rescued. Know who you are. He said, they were rescued by the blood of the lamb from the bondage of sin, given new citizenship in heaven. However, the danger would be to fall back into their former state of slavery through empty and deceitful philosophies. In other words, trying to fix it ourselves through man-made traditions, ideas, and concepts. In other words, these Christians shouldn't give in to the childish ways of the world by believing the claims that they belong only to a material realm. Instead, they ought to know that they belong to Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And we ought, we ought to do the same. We ought not go back to the pig pen to wallow again in the muck and Maori ways of this world. We have to remember Christ and what he have done. We have to contemplate the gospel and what it means. We have to go back to the cross. In every trial, in every circumstance, we remember that Christ conquered all. Right? So that means every trial you go to, every difficulty, every hard experience, Christ has victory. And we must remember that. The Lord has freed us so that we might live unto him. So may we commit ourselves to live in obedience to God, rather than immerse ourselves in the depths of sin according to the traditions of men. But the truth is, Paul, on the heels of emphasizing the supremacy or the sufficiency of Christ, points out that salvation comes from a knowledge of God. And it's through knowing God that one has eternal life and is saved. Paul was concerned that the gospel message would become diluted and watered down with religion based upon fancy words, man-made traditions built upon or built from a worldly foundation with worldly principles. Paul was worried that these Christians would be cheated. That's, that's the warning. He didn't want them to be cheated out of what God has for them. And God had many benefits for them. As Christians, we must also watch out ourselves so that we might not be cheated out of the blessings by way of diminishing Christ. Many of the cults today, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christian Science, etc., say they believe in Christ. Their Christ is not the Christ of the Bible. You have to be careful, right? They, they believe in a different Christ. Paul, Paul warned the Galatians of this very thing in Galatians 1. He states, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is Paul talking to Christians who seem to be drifting back into their old ways. He goes on to say, not that there is another one. Paul say, I'm not saying that. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The warning there. Then we also see in 1 John 2, The same kind of warning. In verse 22 22 and 23, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is the kind of way we're able to check and balance who we're talking to. In other words, watch out. Resist. Don't let anyone diminish the deity of Christ. According to verse 9 and 10 of our text, we have everything we need in Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled. In him who is the head of all rule and all authority. That sounds like dominance. It sounds like God is providentially controlling and ruling the circumstances in our lives. Nothing catches him off guard. He's always ready. Always have a plan. These are the kinds of benefits we have in Christ. Paul is saying, remember, you have been filled with him who owns everything, who knows everything, who can do everything. He has victory even over death itself. He says, know your position. Don't be captivated by this world. So the question is, do you live like this? You live like this. Are you hoping and trusting in Christ in this way? Because in Christ we see the face of God. How could we walk away in an attempt to follow another? He says, I am the way. In other words, we're putting our confidence in God because as the song says, we are complete in him, in him, in Christ. That's what Paul says throughout this letter, in him, in him, in him, in him. As you read the text, look for the words in him, in him. This is a wonderful reminder for us to know who we are in Christ. He holds it all together. In other words, do you live in a way that expresses to the world that you're trusting in Christ because in him dwells every good blessing? Since he is the fountainhead of all good things, do do we live like Christ is the fountainhead of all good things? Because we're in union with Christ, we have everything that we need. Are you believing in God in a way that acknowledges the reality that God actually holds it together? Or do we find ourselves worrying what might happen or what might not happen? We're talking about our motivations. We're talking about how we're able to bring comfort to ourselves. We're talking about how we're able to ease the frustration because of what we know and who we know. And so, as Christians, we must remember this, this unity with God. That means when the baby is crying, or when the children won't listen, we remember who our Christ is. Our God is holding it all together. When we we feel like things are getting out of control, we must remember that Jesus providentially is holding everything together by his own power and strength. In him, all the deity of God bodily dwells in him. How about when we feel overcome, overburdened, overwhelmed? to the point we feel like jumping overboard, right? We We must have available for us the words of God. And so do we trust God then, or do we live hopelessly from day to day? So you have access. Use it. Use your access to God. There's not a certain time or a certain place. We can cry out, Lord, help. In the morning, we can send up rocket prayers. You don't have time to go in the corner. don't have time to, to meet up in your favorite place. Lord, help me now. All right? It's the access that we have. We don't have to go see a priest. We have direct access to the Lord himself. And he's made it so that we can... We can go to him. So use it. Uh, listen to John 1:16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That's, that's who we're dealing with. Next, look with me at Paul's second warning to these Christians. Uh, in Colossians 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. I mean, 11 through 17. And I just want to read two verses there, and then I'm going to talk about the whole And verses I want to read is 16 and 17, and it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belong to Christ. I think the point that is being made here is be aware of legalism. When people try to bring up things that we ought to do to somehow belong to Christ, or to somehow be in a a better standing with God, we can say, like the Scripture says, those are shadows. We have the real thing. And it's been fulfilled for us through Christ. Christ has done all the work I'm trusting in him. I'm hoping in him. He said it's finished. And so all of the work that I do is out of my love for him. Not to be in good standing. I'm already there. He has placed me there. I'm in position. I stand in a position of being in Christ, in union with God. And so he warns them, don't let anyone pass judgment. Don't let anyone take away your hope, your confidence, questioning you. Right? So be aware. In other words... We must also, as Christians, be careful in how we criticize. He's reminding us not to be critical of one another. Don't criticize the brethren, the brethren. So the lie is, according to legalism, we need external things of the flesh in order to be in good standing with God. That's the lie. you got to do something. Christ is good, but... You got to do something. That's a lie. That's a lie. Everything has been done. The righteousness that we have has been transferred to us. So so we have all that we need because of what Christ has done. And so the next lie, it says we need to only circumcise a part of the flesh. Right? Right? And then the next one says that we. The next lie that they say is that we need to be circumcised by the circumcision of Moses. The truth is, we need the external circumcision of the flesh. No, according to verse eleven, Paul states, "In him you were circumcised, with the circumcision not made made without hands." by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, right? So so in him, right? Not with external hands, something that is done by man, is done by God, and is done in us, right? And then we have verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised them from the dead. In other words, what he's saying, there's no need to live according to types and shadows when you have the real thing. Why would, we bring, why would I bring up a picture of my wife when she's right there? We have Christ, right? And in having Christ, there are no need to live according to shadows and types, but he come and fulfilled all things. And so we have Christ. We are not not united to Adam as we once were. Instead, we've been transformed and are now united to Christ. But the false teachers will have us believe it is necessary to follow the old ways. We also see a picture in baptism that reminds us of this circumcision as well that is made without hands. It reminds us of our faith and trust in God through baptism. And one theologian puts it like this. says, Baptism is the grave of the old man and the birth of the new. Symbolic, right? The old man is dying. The old Steve is dying, as the word says, raised up to a newness of life. Right? That's who we are. We we must learn. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about that. We're going to learn how to put off and put on. Right? And so it reminds us, you were dead in trespasses and in sin. So we have this, uh, the, the, the um, quote goes on to say, as he sinks beneath the baptismal waters, the believer buries, their all, buries there all his corrupt affections And past sins, as he emerges from there, he rises regenerate, quickened to new hopes and new life. And so baptism is publicly recognizing our new identity in Christ. And so it's encouragement to us, even though we've been baptized, it's encouraging to see others be baptized because we too went down. Symbolically, the old man dying, coming up new. So the next thing they mention is the need to only circumcise only part of the flesh. According to verse 13, it states that sinners need an internal circumcision, circumcision, not an external one. So sin corrupts the whole man. So you can cut something off or whatever, but you can still have an evil heart. Sinful motivations. Sin corrupts the whole man. And verse 13 says that, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses. So what great beauty we have in that Christ has made us alive in himself, have forgiven us of all our sins. J. Vernon McGee states, states like this, and I quote, salvation is not the improvement of the old nature. It is the impartation of a new nature. How is it that we can be forgiven of our sin? According to verse 14, it states, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, our debt has been paid in full. Christ paid for every sin we ever commit. And the legal documents have been destroyed. There are no copies. And so when Christ died for our sins, it was done away with once and for all. Our obligation now is to confess sins and repent and turn to God. For those of you are visiting, the question to you today is, do you have your debts paid in full? One day you will meet your master, and you would have to account for every deed that you have ever done. Do you have your business in order? Are you in good with God? Because God has a record of everything that you have ever done. And God has a high standard, and his standard is perfection. So God would judge you on the basis of your actions. And if you meet the standard, you will be in good with God. But if you fail at one command, at one iota, one deed, you're disqualified. Do you see the guillotine above you? That there is no hope but Christ. You see, he took the guillotine for us. And he put his own body in the guillotine and told us to step aside. And he took the death that we deserve and transferred life that we don't deserve. And he says, if we place faith in him, We can know him as Lord and Savior. And guess what? Your record will be torn up. It will be canceled. And the Father will see you as righteous because of the blood, the payment that he made on the cross. It covered it all. It's covered. It's unlimited. Whatever you have done, the Lord Jesus can bring you close to him. All you need is faith. I'm not asking you to do anything. We just learn here that you, you can't do anything. And it's only through Christ. He cancels the record. And so we want to know him. We want to be saved. Believe that he died for your sins. And you too can be forgiven. Put your hope and trust in Christ. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave, and you shall be saved. And we're going to hurry on to a close. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, the Lord has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Christ has triumphed over every demonic power. That's why demons can't live with us. Uh, the, The one who is over all lives with us, and no one can take his house. See, in order for you to take over, you must defeat the one who owns the house. We're saying that Christ owns us. We've been bought with the price. And so therefore, Christ have triumphed over every demonic power. Demons has no authority, no power over Christians. We have the spirit of Christ living within us. So whatever the struggle is, we're able to get over it in Christ and through Christ. And then we have in verses 18 and 19, Paul states his third warning. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Let no one disqualify you. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. So he's saying, be aware of the mysticism that is out there. Don't believe that the knowledge of God can be known apart from Christ. Uh, The lie is God can be known in a different way that doesn't include Christ. People try to use mediums such as zodiac signs, fortune cookies, tarot cards, etc. in an attempt to reach God. Christians ought not to get involved in that stuff. Right? We're not to be be dangling our feet in demonic territory. We have Christ. We put our hope in God. So the the truth is, the majority of the problem is seen in verse 19. Paul recognizes that the false teachers then never had or can have a part in the true body of Christ. They never will hold fast until the end. Genuine believers continue maturing in their progress toward the kingdom of God. Christ is building his kingdom. We are a part of that. He allows us to participate in the building of his kingdom. And so once the seed of the gospel is planted, it will grow because growth comes from God. And so herein lies the hope. It's not because we're strong. No, it's because God is. Paul states in 1 Corinthians three. Verses 6 and 7, he says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So neither who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. So God is working in your life, He's working in you. Those who are in Christ will persevere in the faith. And our perseverance is not dependent upon how we feel. But it has to do with who God is and what he's doing. We're able to join him. And so we have to pray that God would help us to see and to know that which would allow us to draw closer to to him and to be obedient to his word, and uh, I think Paul states it um, plainly here in Philippians two and twelve, and in three and twelve, he says, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Then he says in in three twelve. Not that I have, speaking of himself, not that I have already obtained, speaking that he's he's also pressing on, right? Not that I've already obtained obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. And so lastly, look with me at the final verses. Paul finishes with this thought. If with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of the world. Why? Why? Why as if you were still alive in this world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is what Paul is saying, you're free. You're free in Christ. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and the asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul gave his final warning to them in verses, in these verses, and he's emphasizing they should be aware of asceticism Don't believe that self-discipline can make human righteous. So, so, So just by reading your Bible consistently every day is helpful, but don't believe that it's somehow bringing you in a more righteous state with God. Right? So spiritual discipline is good. We're in agreement there. However, Paul is not talking about uh, that he's, he's specifically talking about extreme asceticism. And so the lie is Christ is not enough, so therefore you must. You must do something to become more in good with God. And many times we see in church history sad cases of extreme asceticism efforts in pursuit of God, and what that comes to is no enjoyment. We have all these things that we're doing over and over over again and we never get to enjoy God. And in many cases some refuse and reject some of the blessings that God has given to all humanity. You see this with the priests. They've rejected being married just in general general speaking, they rejected parenthood, they rejected the joy and satisfaction satisfaction of God's beautiful creation. They've even rejected themselves in hope that their extreme efforts will somehow improve their position before God. Have you been trying some? Uh, have you been trying uh, to somehow improve your position with Christ by some disciplined effort? Do, do you do you know that if? We're trying to better ourselves before God on the basis of our own merits. We're actually saying that Christ is not enough. We're we're dipping our toes into works righteousness. And that's where he says, watch out for that. Rest in Christ. Rest in what he have done. Be obedient. But not to somehow become more righteous than what Christ have already done. So this is an elitist mindset. This takes away from the works of Christ. And so the truth is, asceticism cannot purify and make anyone righteous. Christ alone makes us righteous. And so Paul questions uh, this in verse 20. And then Paul states his last warning, watch out. See to it, he reminds them, see to it that no one takes you captive. Gnosticism, legalism, mysticism, asceticism is not enough. Enter into the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is effective. We pray, Lord, that you allow your word to be activated in our hearts and minds, that all that we've learned, we might obey. In Jesus' name, Amen.